that it ended up, it had to happen because we told so many people we had to Same business, different day. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for joining us at the Same Business, Different Day podcast. We're happy to have you tuning in. I'm your host, Zeke Corley, and I want to introduce you to my co-host, the amazing and talented Alyssa Lee Good. Alyssa, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Yeah, Thanks, how's Zeke. your week going? I'm having a good week. Yeah? No yeah. evacuations? Anything? No evacuations. <laughs> the fires have moved away. We're doing okay. Good. And I was able to work with my horse this all week long. Good. Um, I'm training a Mustang, and we're you know just learning about discipline and respect, how to be a horse, how to be a human. I'm learning how to be a horse. He's learning how to be a human, <laughs> and it's going well. Good. Yeah. Good. Also, want to introduce you uh, to one of my best friends, business partner, my father, is also sitting in with us. How you doing, Pop? I am fine, and I am just sitting in. So. I'm here to support wherever I can, and I'm happy to be here. Thank you, thank you. Uh, before we introduce our guests, I want to take a little, or talk a little bit about this podcast. First, I want to say that although business is in the name, this is not your basic boring podcast about the inner workings of a business. In our podcast, we will interview business owners, entrepreneurs, inventors, and moguls about their journey. We don't want to just talk about what time they open and close the store. We want to talk about who they are, what inspired them to get into the business. Eventually, we'll get into why this business. But first, we want to talk about how they got here. And we believe that the information we can all gain from this show can actually inspire others to start their own businesses and understand that some of our favorite business owners are human just like us. With all of that said, let's introduce our first guests. Uh, this couple I've known for, I'm guessing, three years or so. I'm really good with the clock, but horrible with the calendar. But I think about three years or so. Um, they're not just a client of mine, but gracious hosts. And I would say people of great character. With me, that always starts with family. Uh, not only have I met their children, who have always been polite, but this husband and wife team works side by side. I'm hesitant to say exactly where I met them because we're kind of playing this game with our listeners to guess what their profession is. But one clue I will give is that when you go visit them, even for an hour, it will feel like you're on vacation. We've all been going through this pandemic and it's been difficult for all of us, but I've got to tell you that our guest today have one of the most compelling stories about their time during the pandemic that you definitely have to hear. Let's welcome Noel and Roberto Espinoza to the Same Business, Different Day podcast. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you. It's good to be here today. Oh, Thank I appreciate you, you guys being here. Thank you for sitting in. And, and this is our inaugural podcast, so this is perfect. Um, you're, you couldn't we couldn't have had better guests. So um, but we kind of want to go back to the beginning. 
you know, before we talk about the business and, and uh, the mind frame of a business person, we want to talk about uh, where it all started for you. Um, and one of our first questions that we will kind of be asking all of our guests is, what did you want to be when you grew up? You know, that's, that's a good question. And I've thought back over that subject over my life. And I kind of feel today, I, I'll just start by saying, I, I don't think we live one lifetime. Okay. I think we have multiple lifetimes within our life. So what I wanted to be when I was a kid, um, I, I'm not really certain that I even remember that. Okay. But over my journey, you know, I've filled certain different roles through high school and then college and then post-college. And in college, I, I studied microbiology and Louis Pasteur, the kind of godfather of microbiology, he, he has a saying that's attributed to him that says chance favors the prepared mind. So I think all you can do is prepare for, for chance items that come up. And if you see an opportunity, you kind of seize it. So maybe that's being opportunistic. But over my life, uh, I've filled, like I said, different roles. But, but I think coming out of college, I thought I was going to be in research science. I ended up being in biopharmaceutical manufacturing, which is the other side of that business. Uh, not coming up with novel compounds, but actually making them. And then uh, I kind of parlayed the technology that I learned through that job into what we do today. Um, but I'll go way back and just say, I, I know in middle school I was studying drafting. I, I've always had an appreciation for architecture and design and maybe engineering. I, I never had the wherewithal to take engineering classes. Uh, I wasn't very good at math. But uh, it well, doesn't sound like that's true. Well, <laughs> applied math is different than getting good grades in math. Let's okay. put it that way. Okay. Uh, so I think going back, I'd have to say maybe design, architecture, drawing, that type of stuff. Okay. What, what about you, Noel? So I didn't set my sights quite so um, engineering minded, but I wanted to be a school bus driver. Oh, wow. That's the <laughs> first person I met with a job, I think. Uh, so, but I think quickly changed after that. I, I became a fan of science in 10th grade, but that was always for me just a part-time gig, I guess, until I met my, I, until I, I knew what I wanted to be when I grew up, and that was a mom. Mm. I never thought I'd have a career, a lifelong career other than mom. I wanted to be that Sunny D commercial mom. You know, be there when the kids come home and, and give them all snacks and, ho of course, host all the kids at my house and be right. that per perfect mom and then take them all to soccer on Saturdays and, like, soccer mom kind of thing. So that was always, always, and I think kind of I still I still have that, that dream of, of being that, that mom that, that is always there for the kids and, and just that was just always my priority. Something else was going to get me to that goal. I was going to work mm -hmm. until I found that, but I, I, I didn't know. It didn't matter as much what that was, just as long as I, I achieved that goal. The San Marcos Chamber of Commerce is the voice of business in San Marcos. With over 50 years of service to the community, we continuously evolve to meet the needs of our members and help solve problems. Our strategic plan is based on three pillars. Advocate for our members and small businesses. 
During this pandemic, we have participated in letter writing campaigns to the governor and have made statements during county board meetings, city council meetings to help businesses open while following health and safety protocol. We continue to work with Cal Chamber to oppose job killing bills and we also take stands on propositions that we support or oppose depending on how it affects our small businesses. Another pillar is promoting San Marcos through special events such as festivals, Farmers Market, Taste of San Marcos, and most recently, candidates forums for the school board elections and also city council. The third pillar is we also provide valuable resources for our members through webinars, networking events, as well as access and introductions to people that will help your business thrive. For more information on the San Marcos Chamber of Commerce, please visit our website at sanmarcoschamber.com. I think that's really interesting. This is Bill. This is not Zeke. Uh, but I do have a follow-up question. I want to know, because you guys are such an interesting couple, how did you meet? How did you know that he's the one and she's the one? We met at work. Uh, we were both working for a biotech company in Irvine, California. And <clears throat> I was I was doing mostly process development. Noel was on the manufacturing development. And correct me if I'm wrong, something like that. Um, and we just met in the hallways. We've worked together. Our, our groups interacted. And I think it was one evening after work, she and another coworker invited me out for a happy hour. And that's how we got to know each other. And, you know, it, there are rules against, or not maybe against, but rules for workplace, uh, mm -hmm. you know, associations. And I think we just liked each other and timing was right. I, I will go back and say that at one point, Noel said that she wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. And that was a good value for me. I grew up with my grandparents. My, my mom uh, and dad weren't around when I was born. Uh, so my grandparents took me in and raised me. So a lot of my values are you know, based on uh, folks that were born in 1930. So old values, you know, save your money, that kind of stuff, really, really important. But somebody to be at home. My, my grandmother was always home when I got home from school. And wow. there was something yeah. about being a kid growing up in that environment that if I ever thought about having a family, that's a value that I definitely, you know, would, would want to have in, in a wife and a partner. That's awesome. Where, where was that? Was that here in San, San Diego? Or no, I grew it? up in New Mexico, uh, Albuquerque, uh, in a rural area, not, not downtown. We, we lived on when about we met? five acres. Oh, I'm sorry, where I grew up with well, my I'll grandparents. Take, I'll take an answer to both of that okay. question. Well, that was the first answer. That's where I grew up. <laughs> we met in Irvine, California. We had both taken a job with a company called Allergan. They are producers of Botox. That's their big, one of their big products. That's the one that we were working on. Um, so, yeah, we met after work one day. Well, we met at work, and then after work, continued our relationship. And I don't know, you asked when you knew, and uh, it was a kiss in the parking lot after work for me. Oh, so you were hmm. breaking the rules just immediately no, Park, no, in the no, parking lot. It wasn't a rule. It was, I will, I'll be clear about that. It, the, the, our company was cool about it. They didn't. They didn't say you couldn't date. Um, but there is an etiquette about it, right? You don't want to just date somebody and break up and then have to work with them. So, you, you know, you had to kind of be confident that the relationship was was going somewhere before you you just date somebody at work. There is that. Yeah, sure. But it wasn't. I, I, don't, I don't know when I when I knew it was, but you know, when I knew it, I think it, it took a little a little while. 
to figure out that I was ready to settle down. I was about 30, you know, and it seemed like the right time. And the, the right person, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know exactly when. Where did you go to school, Noah? UCSD. You were in San Diego. And how about you, Loretta? Uh, New Mexico State. So you were in, okay. Yeah. So you you really did just meet at work. How, how was the, the school process? For, I mean, what was college like? Were you, you were really thinking about going into the biotech industry? Did you ever consider that you would be a business owner one day? Uh, were you looking into being an employee or uh, were you just... Uh, you know, still looking for a, a good wife. I I was I was just looking to make a living. Yeah, you know. And when I was in college, college seemed academia seemed to be the thing. You continue mm-hmm. doing research. Of course, you have advisors that are using you for your labor to produce work. You know that is valuable to the laboratory. Mm-hmm. So you get steered in that direction. Nobody ever tells you. Well, once you graduate, go out and get a job. Sure. Um, I kind of got into a little bit of a rut. Uh, in college. After getting my bachelor's, I stayed on to work on a graduate program. And then before I finished, I took some time off and actually drove trucks cross country. My brother had an idea of maybe getting getting a handful of trucks and operating. It seemed to be something that he wanted to start. He was in internet technology, IT, out here um, in California. And I thought, well, the way to find out about that business is to learn learn it from the ground up. So I went and got a license for a commercial truck driver, and I drove for a company that was based out of Phoenix for about nine months uh, just to write up a business plan. Um, I, I guess maybe at that point in my life, I thought owning your own business was something that might might be important, you know, might, might be uh, a good idea because you have so much control, creative control, you're able to you know, do the things that you believe are right um, and hopefully make some money, of course. Uh, it turned out my prospectus wasn't favorable for that business. It's mm-hmm. too tough, too tough to compete. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's difficult. You need high, high levels of insurance. You need mm-hmm. to find good people. They're hard to find. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we didn't do that deal. And then I ended up coming out here. Oh, well, again, in, in my, my brother's in the city of Orange. And I stayed with him for a little bit and looked for work with my degree. I thought, okay, well, I have this bachelor's in microbiology. Let me see what I can find. And I found a job at Allergan. That's kind of how it all ties together. Okay. But in college, I, I didn't know really, even at that point, what I wanted to be. Okay. And then when I got on into working in biotech at Allergan, I realized, oh, there, there is all of this that can be done. You know, and I'd never considered... Uh, what we call little r, big D, you know, big D development, the business side of biotech and where the money's at. And uh, that that really at that point in time became interesting to me to see that manufacturing and producing uh, biologicals was an important thing. Okay. In keeping with our theme, we're still not going to expose what your business is at this point. But I want to know... Uh, Based on your trucking experience, I mean, the way that you went into the trucking business, um, I mean, you went into it full 100 percent. Is that the way you approached going into the business that you happen to be in now? What I the biggest lesson I got from driving trucks is, you know, you, you wake up at four, you're at the dock by six, you get loaded, you get weighed 
and maybe by eight or nine you're leaving town, that's when you start your driver's log and you can drive for 10 hours. So 10 hours later, I'm thinking, man, imagine how much lab work I could have gotten done in the last 16 hours. And it made me realize you you can be dedicated to a particular uh, uh, career or or whatever it is, but if you apply yourself and have that focus, and I think that's what truck driving gave me was focus and the realization that, you know, very good people can move that material. Uh, But if you have any sort of background in technology and you can apply it for that amount of time, you can be successful in that too. And it was a good reset for me. Um, I, I think that I still have that mentality of, you know, well, you know, if we run into a problem or, or if we, if we need to generate more revenue or we need to make more product, whatever it is, um, you know, all I can do is go to work and as long as I'm healthy, get up early when you need to stay up late when you need to, um, focus and, and make something happen. You know, be somebody, I guess is another way to say it. That's interesting. Now, Noel, does that, would you say that your approach to business would be pretty much based on his approach or how do, how do you differ uh, from him in terms of making this business work? Yeah, I appreciate that you put me in a co-role because I think that's where we're sitting side by side, but I defer business decisions to Roberto. I trust him to do that. I am in a support role and my priority is to the family and the kids. So it's not, I don't ever think of myself as a business owner, I guess. It's never been been something I've been suited for. I can, as a mom, I can manage and I know all about efficiency because you don't become a mom if you're not efficient. But in terms of how do I run the business in terms of committing 100% or pulling back resources from one thing to put them toward another, uh, I don't I don't make the, those decisions. I trust Roberto to make the right decisions when it comes to the, the successful a successful business. Okay, I will say that Noel is is balance for me in the business because maybe maybe I have kind of wild and crazy ideas sometimes or mm-hmm. I say, you know, we, we ought to be doing this. And she'll she'll maybe just make a comment that makes me rethink that. You know, and, and there are days when, when we'll have a discussion and she'll say, I, I thought you were gonna do that other thing. I'll say, Well, you know, I, after you, after you made that comment, I've decided not to do that. So I, I make the decisions, but Noel has input, and, and it's good input. It helps balance, and especially when it comes to efficiency and, and budgets. You know, for for me, I think, you know, as, as you guys, I guess, figure out what, what we do for work, uh, there's a certain amount of art that goes into um, what we do. Mm-hmm. And I have a good friend that is an artist, and they have bouts of... Um, of of, of not being able to work. They need inspiration. You know, you, you need some sort of fire to make you say, oh, wow, I really have to apply myself right now. Or you make decisions that are based on gut, not so much formulas or, or you know, reasons or, or looking at how, how much income you have, what your expenses are. You never just wake up and say, well, I'm going to make this happen today. Uh, there's a certain amount of inspiration that comes um in our business, and it might be something that somebody says at our location. It might be something, 
something that we see printed on the internet, you know, about, about what we do or our products. And, and that sometimes uh, needs to happen for that motivation to be there. We, we don't, we don't have bosses and we're, we are our own boss. So, um, well, let's take it back to school a little bit. I wanted to, I'm sorry. Okay. Go and go finish ahead. it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Noel, I wanted to um, ask you, like your path from school to Allergan, mm -hmm. like uh, how was that? What What was your thought process there? Were you just looking for a job? You, you got this degree and just whatever I can find? Yeah, essentially, I didn't. I still had hopes of. Uh, and so when I finished college here, I was twenty four ish, and I still had that hopes of meeting somebody someday, but not wanting to force it. But I had been in San Diego my whole life, and it was I was older and mature now and ready to see somewhere outside of San Diego. So I packed up my little Ford Probe car, and I drove halfway across the country to St. Louis, Missouri, because I had been a Mark Twain fan as a kid. And I got a job there. Once I got there, I got some roommates, and I had an amazing time. I got a graduate degree at Washington University. And after about five years of working in the industry there, I decided it was time to come home. My sister was having children, my brother as well. So I looked for jobs in Southern California, probably around the same time that Roberta was. Allergan was kind of growing at the time. Botox was mm, approved to be used as a, as a, as a cosmetic. cosmetic, thank you. And so they were expanding and hiring a bunch of people and we both took a job at around the same time but yeah all the while i'm i'm kind of in the background thinking this is fun i like working in biotech i like doing fermentation i like doing science i have a great group here but at the same time it wasn't my my end dream was still to, to be a mom like I, awesome. it's, it's still in my in my heart okay I, I like this. I like how we are still like not revealing the business. <laughs> we're kind of finished career path number one. So um, Pop started this business back in 77, uh, our insurance business, right? And um, we work, work, work. You know, that's it's family business. We kind of sure. have an, I, I, you know, we identify with what you guys do and what you guys go through. Now, at the same time, um, we don't take vacations. We don't get away very often. Um, we'll, we'll take a trip here or there. It's usually pretty close and we're always working, but that's the nature of the insurance business. Now you're able to pull away from your business and have a vacation um, or a, at least a trip recently. And I remember sitting down and talking to you. Um, and I think, I think right now is probably, Alyssa, what do you think? I think it's about time that we reveal the business because um, this conversation was real important and, and it was, um, you know, I'm sure you spoke to many of your clients uh, about what your plans were, but it really, uh, you know, touched me when you told me about what you expected to do. Um, well, we, we actually, took that trip. we talked so much about the idea mm -hmm. that it ended up, it had to happen because we told so many people we had this <laughs> yeah, idea. Now, yeah. And I think when December rolled around, we, we kind of looked at each other. might have been sooner. It might have been when we bought the plane tickets. But we said, are, are we really going to do this? I mean, is this really a smart thing to do? What but we'd it? already had momentum uh, in place and we had plans. So, yeah, we, we ended up doing it. Let's but, do it. Yeah, there's let's... a conversation you remember with us? Oh, yeah. I had a conversation. I think it was with just with Roberto. 
And um, what do you remember about that? Let me let me go to this first. What I'm going to do is we're going to go ahead and reveal what the business is. And then uh, we're going to talk about that vacation because or that trip, because um, one piece that I remember from it still reveals what the business is. So I, I want to give it a proper, um, you know, intro to what you who you guys are and what you guys do. The Espinosas are the owners of Espinosa Vineyards. Roberto is not just a winemaker, but one of the premier winemakers in California. And he's also a mentor to other winemakers. His boutique winery, their boutique winery, is a vacation in itself. Started in 2007, a visit to this winery will not only get you nice wines, but great conversation. How often do you get the owners of a business asking your name and really taking the time to ask about you? All the while educating you on their process, their business, and what you're drinking. Visiting their winery is truly an incomparable experience, and I encourage everyone listening to make sure that they get there. So, I want to... Yes, absolutely. It's in Escondido. Well, you guys can tell us a little bit. We're we're located in Escondido Mm -hmm. uh, in a neighborhood called Highland Valley. There's a road that goes from the 15 in Pomerado all the way out to Ramona called Highland Valley Road. But there's a portion of that um, that street, that road, that is what's known as the Highland Valley. And it's kind of a, a, a little watershed that exists about 500 feet above the San Pasqual Valley. Uh, and in that neighborhood, grapes have been grown, as far as we can tell, based on historical records, as early as the late 1800s. Wow. Um, on the property, there was a winery that was built probably in the 30s that existed probably through the 50s. Uh, and we, we came upon the property in the late 2000s, 2008, after, after the wildfires had burned through a good portion of San Diego County. Uh, but our location, we, we make wine on site. We live on site. Uh, we, we sell wine on the weekends. We do tastings. Uh, we're open Saturdays and Sundays now from noon to about 6 o'clock. We encourage reservations. We seat people for about two-hour blocks. And we can tell you about the wines if you have questions. We can leave you alone if you want to have a nice little picnic with, with your partner or your friends. And um, we, every now and then I think about getting up and having to go to work, but I was talking to Zeke about this last week, I think. Uh, it's It's nice to... I have to really consider, you know, I have the privilege to be able to make wine, and there's there's no doubt that it makes people happy uh, when they come out and have a glass of wine. So the best part about the job really is seeing folks out there tasting, drinking wine on the weekends and enjoying themselves. And we're kind of a nexus for, for people that want to come and have wine, but it's also, I think wine is a part of the human relationship. You get together with friends and family and celebrate or uh, commiserate, whatever it is, you have a chance. And if you can do it with a glass of wine in a natural environment with a good view, that's that's what we're providing. Like Zeke said, a lot of folks will tell us, uh, you know, you're, you're so close to San Diego, but but it feels like I was really far away. I think that's what he was getting at. Absolutely. It feels like you, you've been on a little vacation. Yeah. You forget, you forget where you came from for a little bit. And you're really somewhere else for that time that you're there. And you never see a bar fight at a wine bar. <laughs> <laughs> I went 
yet. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep it that way. <laughs> so, um, but you asked me, what do I remember about that conversation? Yeah. Um, I remember, <laughs> well, first I remember the shock because it's like, okay, during these good months of a San Diego County spring, right? Um, you're like, Zeke, shutting down. Um, we're taking the kids. We're going to homeschool abroad. Um, or we're going to, they're going to go to school abroad. Yeah, right. Them, they're actually going to physical school. Public school. Right. Yeah. And then um, you were going to learn. You were going to learn, um, you know, some culture. You were going to see some sites. Uh, you were going to uh, learn some techniques, uh, you know, in Spain, uh, you know, what the winemakers are doing out there. Uh, I even, well, I even getting ahead of myself, I, I remember some of the texts that you'd send back. Like, I haven't had a gl bad glass of wine yet. Yeah. You know, you, you talked about the prices of them and how readily available it was. But I really want to hear about this trip. And I want to make sure that everybody hears about this trip because um, you were <laughs> somewhere far, far away from where we were and just in complete shock. And I'm sure that there was shock out there for you as well. But when COVID hit California and the way we responded to it, I know the responses were different out there. I know that uh, it was faster. Like the, I, I guess it hit before it hit here. Didn't it? I mean, yeah, I can think, you tell yeah. us a little bit about the trip? Italy was really the first one to get hit with the virus. But mm -hmm. I, I'd like to go back and just say that we've been in business since uh, first vintage was 2011. Okay. And in 2014, we released our first wines. We did our first tastings. Mm -hmm. And in each of the years of 2014, 15, 16, and 17, we had the experience that we would sell out of wine and we had to close. Mm -hmm. So we spent several months every year, three to five months, being closed those first three or four years. And yeah, it was because... Say that's, that's a little... I'm sorry to interrupt, but that's kind of a humble brag. Don't you think? Our wine was so good. We, yeah, sold no, out. Just, we, didn't, we didn't know what the target was. We didn't know how okay. much to make. Okay. You know, the first yeah, yeah. year you open up and you think, who's going to come up here? Mm -hmm. And enough people came up that the wine was all gone. Yeah. So... You need insurance, and you need yourinsuranceplace.com as your brokers. And I'll tell you why. They have access to hundreds of carriers, and we're never left without results. Not even the hard-to-place risks. A good insurance broker is a problem solver. Our team is dedicated to getting you covered. Take time to shop with yourinsuranceplace.com. Save money. Get protected. Yourinsuranceplace.com know that when we made the decision to leave San Diego for about six months, we went to Sevilla, Spain, and put the kids in public school there. The decision was based on, you know what, if we leave, we, we know we can come back. We've had the experience sure. that the business is going to be there. And there's no way to get that time back with your family with this kind of unique trip. Right. So that was, I think, the confidence booster when we made that decision to to take the trip and, and the trip itself took shape over a period of more than a year uh, in how, how to execute it. Um, we originally just started thinking about you know, vacation in Europe. Uh, in 2013, we had our 10 year anniversary. Yeah, 10 year anniversary. And 
I remember Noel asking me something like, oh, what do you want to do for the next 10 years? And I said, well, in 2023, the kids are going to be 14, 16, and 18. We should probably focus on family time and taking trips. You know, you got to take one trip to the, to, to the East Coast. You got to take a trip to the Pacific Northwest, maybe, maybe one, you know, the Caribbean, South America, something like that, and one to Europe. So we're in year seven of those 10 years. And, you know, if, if you didn't make it happen now, I don't know when you do. And it started out as maybe 30 days, and then it creeped up to 45. And then you say, well, what cities do you want to see? And the thought process, it was we were discussing it. I remember discussing it at a place where we were waiting for friends. We were having some tapas and some drinks. And one of the waiters was Spanish, and he said, well, why don't you just move there? It's cheap. That's what I remember. Noel mm. remembers it a little bit differently, I think, <laughs> in Michigan. In hindsight, maybe we came up with the ideas simultaneously because we're in a Spanish bar, and I'm looking at the posters, and I'm thinking one day we ought to live in Spain. And I, I hadn't been thinking so much one day in the next two years. I was thinking one day in the next 30 years. Mm. And I think simultaneously, Roberto's having a conversation in Spanish with the Spanish bartender, and I'm not part of that. So we both kind of at the same time have this this moment of, of saying it'd be great to live in Spain for a while. And, and I, and I think the thoughts were we then. couldn't. Well, maybe we could. Could mm-hmm. we? And then mm-hmm. we did research. And I think over the period of maybe three or four months, looking at you know the, the cost of living, looking at the schools, trying to figure out when we could make it happen. And we decided not to do it in 2019 because our oldest is, uh, he was an eighth grader. And we wanted, didn't want to pull him out second semester final year of middle school mm-hmm. but we thought freshman year second semester that's a good year he can get started at the high school he goes away for one semester we come back and then sophomore junior senior years for college applications as those are the important years so our timing i think was planned and thought out um there's also we, we couldn't anticipate COVID, a large of course. process mm-hmm. for getting a residency for even six months in spain it it's quite it's detailed. About, yeah. About in fact, f- that's a whole other podcast. If anybody's interested <laughs> in learning how to go and do this kind of yeah. trip with your family and do school over there and get a residency, if you stay longer than 30 days or is it 90, it's 90 days, 90 days, you, can you apply for a residency permit. But uh, almost like I imagine an immigrant coming here, there's timing deadlines with the documents uh, that is within a month or two of when you travel. You it's have a four month process. And, you know, 60 days in advance, you have to start the clock on certain things. This is for your meeting with the uh, Spanish consulate up in L.A. We're lucky enough that we have a consulate in L.A. I think there's one maybe in Chicago, one in New York, maybe Houston. Wow. And all the family has to travel uh, to the consulate in person. So we had to pull the kids out of school a couple of days last fall uh, in order to make these appointments. But there's background check. There's There's this seven-inch thick binder we have with all the documentation that was required we can, so I don't even know if we could have had it done in that first year to be able to go because we had that that it would have been tough. moment at the at the Spanish bar in June and to leave the following December I don't think it would it's not realistic you yeah that was more June twenty eighteen so we we ended up starting our process around June twenty nineteen okay and in October we made our application and by I think the end of October it might have taken two or three weeks, we got approval. Mm-hmm. And that meant we had all of, really, November, December to 
pack up the house, move out, store everything. We, we have a big barn, so we were able to get all our furniture out. And we had a tenant move in. Right. Uh, uh, a good friend that helped manage the vineyards while we were gone. I was wrapping up wine yeah. work as well. December 25th, bottling. A lot of work to There's a lot done. of work to, to get done. But, but the idea, first and foremost, was to go to Spain with the intention of getting the kids culture and education. Right. Same with us. Um, yeah. The second was sites and touring the rest of Europe. And I think down around three or four, I, I, I placed the, well, if I made an expectation that was unreasonable, such as maybe working at a winery while I was there, I, I couldn't work with my visa uh, the, the way it was written. It was a non-lucrative visa. You can't go and take a Spaniard's job. So, uh-huh. and in volunteering, they're a very tight community. It's hard to get in unless you know somebody. Okay. So I set my expectations low and even though we, we, we drank a bunch of wine and we visited some wineries and really experienced the way they use wine with their food and, and how, how it exists in the culture. Uh-huh. That's the most important thing I got out mm-hmm. of it. Okay. But as far as techniques go and, you know, working in a winery, I think it you didn't, get just a chance didn't, to. didn't really get a chance to do that. But yeah. number one was a kid's education. Bringing so. back those techniques might have been a big deal, though. I mean, you know, how, how it's, like you said, used within the culture. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, well, the thing about wine in, I think, California and, and maybe even in, in places like Bordeaux or Burgundy, uh, I think the perception is that it's a luxury item, that it is something that, you know, you, it's, it's for refined dinners. It's, but, but in Spain, it's just part of life. And when you order wine, they say, well, do you want Rioja or do you want Ribera? There's two regions that are very popular. That would be like saying, do you want Napa or Sonoma? Uh-huh. And you say, well, you know, I'll have the Sonoma. They never show you the label. You don't know the alcohol. You don't know the right. grape. They just pour you a glass of wine. Interesting. And nobody asks questions. They just enjoy the wine with their food because it isn't that important to yeah. know the vintage or, or the region. Okay. Um, it's kind of, kind of interesting in that way. So for me, I, I think, you know, wine is, wine is, I've always thought this, wine is food. It's, it's not a luxury item that we're, um, you know, uh, u- using to, to make the dinner special. It's just part of the meal. Mm-hmm. And that, that really reinforced it there. The Vista Chamber of Commerce is so proud and excited to partner with the City of Vista on a Vista's Open promotion. We will be selling Vista Bucks gift cards. So for $20, folks can purchase a $25 gift card. That's good at any participating Vista retailer or restaurant. We're really excited about this program. We're thrilled to put some money back in the hands of our businesses. Uh, It's so important now, especially to support our local businesses. Um, They need us more than ever. And if you have the opportunity and the choice to shop locally, I hope you do. I wanna ask, uh, bring it back to your time in Spain, um, because you went through a long, long period of planning it out, working with your kids. You know, your kids were obviously the main focus of the whole thing, but you had an experience planned and then COVID hits. I mean, obviously it changed things for you. Um, I hope it, you know, the experience just being different, but, you know, just talk us through that. What happened? Right. So at first, like here, probably, we all thought it was going to be two weeks. You know, and then Easter was coming up. So I thought, well, the kids will just miss two weeks of school and maybe they can still go to their sixth grade camp and their field trips and everything will get back to normal here in mid-April. 
And I, I think we got through it two weeks at a time until we realized the target date of May 11th came and went for them to return back to school. That was, for me, having these dreams of my kids becoming bilingual. Roberto speaks Spanish. I do not. It's been something I've been trying to work toward. I know how difficult it is to do the older you get. I wanted the kids so much to learn to speak Spanish when they were younger. And it's it's just, that was the, a big goal of this trip for me. Not so much anybody else, I think just me. So realizing that that wasn't going to happen was hard at first. But, you know, if you get over it. I didn't lose the most in this in this tragedy, in this in this pandemic. I can't be sorry for myself. I can't be sorry for the kids. If they want to learn Spanish, they still can. Mm -hmm. they, they didn't lose their life to this. They didn't lose their business. So got over that. And then we just try to make the best of the rest of the trip. You know, I actually really enjoyed my walks in Sevilla, walking through the town with even nobody there. It was, was it kind peaceful. of deserted? Was it? It was very deserted, of course. Yeah, <laughs> wow. there's nobody out, and but it's you springtime that, and though. the flowers is is beautiful, and it's just a there was a really neat kind of piece that I got from it. I spoke to a lot of vendors at that time too because I'm the only one walking around. Roberto was kind enough to let me do the shopping, and he was okay staying at home, and it was really not. It was kind of a magical time to be there. Hmm. Uh, the experience politically was definitely different, I think, than what people were experiencing here. Maybe that's something you want to uh, learn yeah. about. But as far as the disappointment from the kids not being able to go to school and do what we had planned, I, I mean, I, I, all I can say is I got over it. And looking back, I don't, I don't, I'm not upset about it now. You know? Yeah, the the Spanish while we were there, they said right now it's it's complicated in the whole world, right and. Mm -hmm. And even though the government had a more severe lockdown, shutdown there than, than I think we've had here in America, um, they, they felt it was their duty to stay home. So, for okay. example, on a Friday, they announced we're going to be closing things down, no commercial activities, just groceries, pharmacies, and hospitals, uh, beginning Monday, uh, March 16th. So we thought, well, we have this weekend to get out. Let's, let's go Let's go to the mountains, you know, a little south of here, and we'll, we'll go for a hike, and we'll check out the, the little towns down there. Well, on Saturday morning, we drove out of town, and there's nobody. Everybody's already inside Saturday, you know, 8 a.m., 9 a.m. Uh, nobody's out panic buying. They're, they're just home. Hmm. And when we got back late Sunday evening, it was even more deserted. And on Monday, when I took, uh, I think I took the rental car back Monday. I did. And... We walked through the city, and I have photos of maybe a week before the same street, a commercial district, and there are zero people uh, in this city of two million, mm. and everybody is indoors. Um, but the, the country itself is uh, the the political party that's ruling now is socialist. Everybody has health care. Uh, everybody got a little bit of a stipend. You know, you go out and buy some groceries and some beer and some wine. And, stay home and spend it with your family. Mm -hmm. Like Noel said, we started with two weeks and then two weeks later they said, well, we need another two. And then they added another two and another two. So eight weeks in, Love six family weeks. Time. <laughs> yeah. And, and at that time we could leave and go grocery shopping or go to the pharmacy. One or the to, other, not together. Not together. Mm. But the kids couldn't leave the house for those first 45 days. hundred percent, no children outdoors. Uh, and they'd find you. They'd find you on the street and write you a ticket. 
That's how they keep everybody okay. inside. Now, it wasn't like India. They weren't jumping out of vans. And... No, no. I don't know what happened in India. Yeah. <laughs> there was sticks involved. Oh, so. okay. No, no, no nothing There's, like that. Okay. I don't know that they needed too much enforcement because there is a lot of respect for the law there. Sounds like and it. And there's also... I don't know about how, personally how it is here, but there's a lot of respect for elders as well. A lot of these mm-hmm. homes are multi-generational. You see grandchildren with their grandparents every day, all day. They live in the household, and they are taking care of their elders. And you get a sense when you're walking through, even before COVID, that they are a large part of their every single day life, not just once a week I'm going to visit grandma. It's every single day they are with their grandparents. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, you get a sense that they were careful in their in their in their lifestyle of what they did there was no question they were not going to put grandmother at risk for for the sake of being able to go outside and play ball for Mm -hmm. an afternoon Mm -hmm. so there was no really need to enforce it much it was it was is built in in their own self-control did you get to see any sites or anything before all of this happened or like was there any any time sure. of enjoying, yeah. We, we left on December 27th, and we mm-hmm. spent uh, New Year's in uh, Madrid. We went to the towns of Cordoba and Granada, Toledo, on the way down to Sevilla. Uh, after we were in Sevilla, we spent about 10, 10 or 14 days really working uh, every day on getting the kids into school. There were a certain amount of stamps and signatures that you needed, and they were located in... Uh, like uh, amazing race fashion, you know, in different buildings with different people and behind different closed doors. So that took us a while. But once we got them in school, um, we had time in Sevilla. And on weekends, we would take trips uh, to the countryside. We went to Portugal twice. Portugal. uh, And then to the beach. Yeah, we traveled a lot. Mm -hmm. We've always been very work hard, play hard kind of mentality. Oh. Roberto and I. Part of what this conversation is all about. (laughs) Yes. So when we weren't doing part of the bureaucracy, we were out going out on the town as much as possible or or taking the kids on tours. So we saw a a lot. And then we kind of were just finding our groove in February, March, when we thought, okay, we're going to settle in here for a little while and let the kids go to school. I started taking Spanish classes. Mm. Roberto's in uh, flamenco guitar lessons. And we were just kind of getting getting comfortable living there when it all kind of stopped on the 16th of March. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's a good we point. Did we did get to do we, a lot. We did get to do a lot. We also had some friends scheduled to come visit in March, April, and maybe May. So some of the activities we had planned for those months, you know, we didn't, we didn't hurry up and try to get them done in February and March. Right. We thought, oh, we'll, we'll go to the... The Alhambra and Granada, you know, in April when, when Noel's mom was going to come visit. Yeah. Uh, so when everything got shut down, we did miss some of those things. If you take six months and multiply it by the number of weeks in each month, I figured we had 24 weekends, about. Okay. And then if you get rid of maybe a third of them for things that are local, we really have 16 places we can go. And that's kind of how, you know, week to week or month to month you space things out because you can't do it all at once. Mm-hmm. You don't want to get burned out. Uh, and you need to have some time to recover in between those little trips. So what we ended up doing is after lockdown let up and we were able to travel within our, our larger province again, uh, the three or four items we wanted to get done in Andalusia, we, we got them done in you know six days instead of spreading mm-hmm. them out over six weeks. Uh, same thing uh, at the end of the trip when uh, starting July 1st, 
the uh, European Union opened up, and we traveled from Sevilla to to Rome, and we were able to get through a good part of central and northern Italy, and then into France. We spent time on the French Riviera, and then in Avignon in wine country, in Provence, and then we headed back to Sevilla before we finally came back home. Wow. So it was kind of that last six weeks we must have spent five of them five of them traveling maybe four it's like a mad dash it's like we're outside kind kind of kind of but it was uh, the freedom that we had at that time and and the ease in getting around with very very light crowds there no no tourists there were national tourists Mm -hmm. so people in italy that were touring like say the Colosseum in rome everybody was speaking italian there were no, no real foreigners. Wow. Uh, there were a few military guys there, maybe from the Navy. There were yeah. local that, we, that were speaking English. But it's one of those things where even though we were affected for those two months and it kind of took time away, we were still living in Spain, shopping at the grocery store, eating the food, drinking the wine. Um, we just weren't visiting the sites. And we weren't having that same kind of connection with the community. Uh, that we had when everything was open. But before and after, definitely good interaction with the folks in Spain. Let's talk about um, coming back. Now, before that, let's let's at least, because you guys have like an Instagram where you've kind of just documented all of this, right? Yeah, we do. That's one of the things I really appreciated because, you know, you told people you were going and we were excited for you. We're like, send us pictures and you couldn't possibly send everybody pictures. Yeah, and we have an email list. There's probably at least a couple thousand people on it and we didn't want to bombard them with updates every month. So we said, hey, if you guys want to follow what we're doing, we have this other Instagram account that's just about travels. I'm still updating it today because we took maybe about 10,000 pictures over our trip there. And even though we would post every few days or at least weekly, uh, we're doing like throwback Thursdays and you mm-hmm. know that, that time we were in and photos that maybe we haven't posted before. Mm-hmm. So the account on Instagram is uh, at Espinosa5 in Spain. And five is the number five. Uh, and if you go there, you can kind of see our progress from Madrid to Sevilla, then all around Portugal, southern Spain, central and eastern Spain. Now, you know better than I, but is it important to note that Espinosa is with an S? Yeah, that's a good question. Espinosa is with two S's. Right. E-S-P-I-N-O-S-A. Right. Mm-hmm. Five in Spain. Yeah. In On Instagram. Yeah. Right. It's a great Instagram right. page. Really I follow is. it myself. Yeah. It's fun. Thanks. It really shows your experience, and even with COVID, that you guys had a good time. So. <laughs> if you notice, though, the kids uh, in January and February, they'll smile for the camera. And, and then in May, June and July, you, you basically see them walking away from me. <laughs> <laughs> they've had enough. Yeah, time. they've had enough photos. Yeah. So how difficult was the adjustment coming back? Not not difficult to come back. I mean, you definitely had to quarantine for a while. I remember you we, saying we that you, you stayed. Yeah, you did that. On arrival, the, the folks at the airport say, go mm-hmm. home. Two weeks, you know, don't go out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were coming from a place that had kind of already been through their peak, and they had gone back down to relatively low levels. Uh, so our biggest concern while we were traveling that last month was, you know, don't get sick. Maybe we won't be able to get onto the plane to be able to come home. Mm. Uh, we had at least two flights cancel on us. Um, one of the international one one was our trip home. Uh, on an airline that stopped flying to the U.S. Uh, in July. And we were able to find uh, another one uh, 
but it was quite a bit more expensive. I think the airlines, two, two airlines still have our money. You know, they haven't given refunds. But they offer vouchers and you, yeah. you got to go back. And, uh, no, but yeah, yeah you want your money. <laughs> We'd like to get the money back. Um, but coming back to the U.S., our perception was, look, I mean, a lot of things were happening here. It wasn't just maybe the, the response to coronavirus or lack of response or lack of planning, uh, it, what's been apparent I think uh, it was also there were times of uh, great stress on the nation with um, with Black Lives Matter and uh, other groups causing you know, whether whether people are looting or protesting. Just the idea coming back, you know, being in Spain, we saw protests, and what the protesters do is they go to the the uh, local uh, government building with pots and pans, and they make a lot of noise for two hours mm -hmm. and then they all disperse and that's it they've said their piece and they write their demands down they give them to somebody at the building and that's you know whether it was for teachers or if it was for um equal pay or or well, there was well, one in, in barcelona it was for country. well they want to they want a referendum but we weren't there for that it was that was for teachers i believe the one that we saw and they make a lot of noise but there there's no there's no hostility. There doesn't seem to be as much pain as there was evident here when we came back. It You just felt it in the CVS. You know, we had to make one stop on the way home and get some medicine. So we, I felt it in the CVS. There's just pain. There's pain in people's attitudes and the way they greet you. It, it just felt different right mm -hmm. off. Um, so it's separate from the the adjustment we had to make in terms of getting the business open and COVID ready and getting back into the house. But just the the feeling that you're coming home to a different country than the one you left just seven months earlier, you, you definitely felt it. Yeah, and, yeah it's and, a whole new it's world. It's a big part of your story. Yeah. 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 Which I'm going to bring it back to same business, different day. What's different now in terms of your business operation than before – COVID set in mm -hmm. before the trip, um, what would you say? And what would you say to someone who's interested in starting a business today? Sure. Uh, whether it's uh, a business like your business or any other type of business, would you encourage, would you discourage, would you um, give them advice, advice that you gave to yourself when you thought about going into the trucking business uh, as opposed to what you say landed in the business that you're in today. Mm -hmm. uh, how would you, what would you say to that person? Well, the one thing I'd say for us, we're really fortunate that our, our business model um, through COVID, post-COVID, hasn't changed too much. We have certain restrictions and, and we have some precautions that we make, but Essentially, we're, we're serving wine in a very similar environment that we were doing it in b before COVID. Um, we're in an outdoor space that people feel is very safe. Um, we, we have to wear masks. We have to use hand sanitizer, uh, certain precautions that we take. But I think once our guests are seated at that table, uh, looking at the view and drinking their wine, the experience isn't that much different than it would have been a year ago. The difference, I think, is the mingling, intermingling of, of guests that, that maybe don't know each other. 
And you can see people kind of taking wide berths, you know, walking a little far from other folks. Uh, uh, but because of our our setup, that hasn't changed too much. And that's been really good. Uh, the other thing I think that's maybe helped prop up businesses like ours and the other wineries uh, that are out in the country is people want to escape and go out. And maybe they don't want to sit in, in a parking lot at a restaurant that's transitioned to outdoor seating that wasn't really built for that. But if they come to our place, they, they kind of feel like it is a little bit normal. So we've had quite a few new customers, not just returning customers, people that are looking for our type of venue. Um, but going beyond that and addressing the question about um, what type of advice we might give to somebody that might want to start up, uh, whether it's our business or any other business, uh, it, it's, it's the one thing I can say is, you know, as far as, I guess, credit goes or borrowing money, you know, you need to have a business plan. You, you should. The way we built the business was cash out of pocket, no, no loans, no debt. And it's been hard at times because you, you take the money that you earn and you put it back into the business. But we don't really have a payment we have to make. We don't have investors. Um, I, I'd be very careful about taking on a partner uh, in any business. I'd, I'd say, you know, you try to do it on your own. And if that means you have to work another two or five years in your other job to save up and get started, um, that that works for us. Um, and we can now at this point, I think, comfortably say, you know, we, we can shut down for six months or a year and we can survive that. And I anticipate this winter is going to be very interesting because if we have rains and we can't serve outside, you know, what are you going to do then? you got to count that there may be another half year lost revenue over, mm -hmm. over the next four quarters. So we're prepared for that. Um, maybe it's not a good time to start a business. I, I, I think it would depend on uh, an individual's uh, position and what, what they want to want to. What? come up with what the product is for sure yeah you know if there's a product that can capitalize on the current situation sure you know may, maybe that's the business what what do businesses need maybe what i just said is important maybe all the wineries out there need a vendor to come out with covers you know mm -hmm. to provide outdoor seating for, for winter tastings mm -hmm. right and maybe somebody can meet that need if if the wineries can't do it on their own whether it's rental or maybe it's some sort of purchase program or something like that or yeah. uh, some sort of expert right and creating outdoor spaces business never stops there's right. got somebody can come up with those solutions and help people and that might make sense True. when somebody says you know i don't want to spend uh eight or ten thousand dollars on outdoor furniture and a patio cover somebody says, yeah we'll just put you on a monthly plan we'll just rent it out to you mm -hmm. we never expected face masks and sanitizers to be the, right. the top the of the list right, right. <laughs> um so as we're getting close to the end here we um we have a segment. All right, settle down, people. We've got a lot to cover, and time is short. So I'm currently taking classes with SDSU, all about public relations, hospitality, and my focus is event planning. Um, and so I thought, and Zeke had the same thought of, you know, what happens when you take the schooling and put it into reality? So um, essentially, I'm just, you know, pulling from my notes, what, and I want to ask a question, you know, just in general. Um, this one's about branding. And so in class, they're saying how important branding is. It's all about who you are. This is what your client is coming in. This is how they're going to remember you. And I thought, you know, your Espinoza Vineyards, you used your last name. Mm 
um, obviously it's important to you. It's literally who you are. So how did that affect your business? How does it affect when you're talking to people about it? How do you explain it? And why did you decide, let's go with our name. Let's use our name as our title. We tried to come up with some clever names. And yeah, they, they all just what were some of the early ones? Sounded, what were the early the ones? The very first one I, that I can remember was not bad. <laughs> <laughs> we, we had made some wine and given it to friends, and they said, hey, that's not bad. And we, and we heard that a lot. Okay. I think people were expecting not much bad. less of us. Yeah. <laughs> so As a compliment, them. right? Yeah. <laughs> Something with the fire, Catalyst, Phoenix, but they sounded hmm. a little too... It was too, too forced. Right. And so I said, you know, if and, and the other name, I think that would have been easy enough if we had considered, you know, maybe building it and then trying to sell it. We're on a street called Bandy Canyon. So Bandy Canyon is an OK name, but we're not really in a canyon. It didn't didn't really resonate with us. Uh, and we've had ideas for for other names. Um, we do corner, have, something about a corner, right? A rincon. Yeah, rincon. because we are on the corner. I don't remember. Exactly. Diablo de Rincón del... Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Rincón del Diablo. That's what uh, Escondido was called before it was Escondido. Escondido is more of a developer, like a developer's uh, name for the town. Mm-hmm. But the land tract was called Rincón del Diablo, and that means Devil's Corner. Rincón Devil's Corner. That's yeah. interesting. Um, we, we never came up with anything. I said, well, I think we finally just said, well, let's just put it, let's put it on the label. We'll, we'll go with it. Mm-hmm. And when I was looking for fonts, we were able to find, um, there's actually, this is a little interesting for font nerds out there, <laughs> people that are in marketing. The, the font that we use was, re, it's a digital recreation of a font that was created by a punch cutter. Punch cutter is somebody who chisels, um, into wood or metal for embossing and, and printing. Uh, but there's Antonio de Espinosa, spelled the same way as our name, 1490s in Mexico. 1590s? 14 or 1500s? I think it's the 1500s. In Mexico City, uh, he's the second punch cutter known in the New World. And uh, his font was used for manuscripts and government documents and, of course, the Bible. Mm-hmm. And that font was recreated by a graduate student, I think, in the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, and we purchased the font. And when you see the font that's on the bottle, it's actually called Espinosa Nova. Mm-hmm. So the font is you know, the same as our name. That's kind of interesting, but it matches. Beautiful. It matches. It's uh, lovely. Yeah. Uh, what we want to represent, which mm-hmm. is just well, family owned, um, classic style. And uh, and I'll say one thing too. I mean, the contents of the bottle, not bad. <laughs> not, <laughs> not bad. bad. <laughs> not bad. <laughs> um, that's cool because that comes right after the you know the good um, business advice that you were giving to a younger self or or, or younger folks. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, she's learned so much in school, and it's it's very important to discuss you know that process. You know, you're learning stuff from a book. But then how does it become practical? Can you right. use this in everyday business? Some can, some can't. Yeah. How does it get tweaked and right. all? So um, I, I love that segment. Um, another, the, the last segment that I want to uh, present is kind of just like a dive into uh, information that we've even found on the Internet or I've got it through information and conversations with you or text. Sure. And this one is a text. Uh, you sent it to me, and what you said was, I am learning 
that slowing life down is good. Exercise of your mind, body, and senses is priceless, in parentheses, while you still have them. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'd ask you that's to expand bad. on that a little bit. It's not bad. Are you feeling older? It's Sounds like something that should be inside of a book that has that Espinoza uh, right. font on it. Well, <laughs> and I think probably I, I wrote that while we were in lockdown. Absolutely. In mm-hmm. Spain. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And my thoughts at that time were, you know, if, if we're not at home making wine, making the wine better, you know the instrument that you use for that, whether it's whether it's your nose or your palate, or or it's it's your your back, your muscles, because you're physically making the wine. You got to keep all that in tune so that you can keep doing that job. Um, I I think that as you get older, you can't lift as heavy. Maybe maybe your sniffer doesn't work as well. Yeah. And while you have it. You do do your best, and even as those senses diminish or your strength diminishes, um, maybe you have a plan. Maybe we have some kids that want to help us out uh, as we get older to continue doing what we're doing. But but I I think the point there is, you know, you you gotta take care of your health first in order to do the best job you can, and I think that's what I was trying to get across at the, at the time. I might have actually just been, you know, in the back uh, of, of the apartment, you know, counting the days to get out. <laughs> a little bit more insightful. It's a little self-motivating <laughs> yeah. text. Yeah. Right? More for his own benefit. I could have, maybe. <laughs> I, I, I really like the idea of slowing life down is good. You know, I feel like probably every time we go to work, it's like, I got to get this done. I have to get that done. And definitely abroad, I, I hope that you guys had that experience of slowing down life is good. Let's appreciate what we have. Let's appreciate our family. I hope everybody got a little bit of that this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit of, of appreciating family for sure because you're together so much now and definitely slowing down. Yeah. Yeah, for the Learning people out there that have had a commute for the last, you know, 20 years. Yeah. And they're on the road an hour a day. And now they're working at home maybe four or even five days a week. You know, how, how special is that? Yeah, and different stresses, I'm sure, but... And I guess the question would that. be, you know, what are you doing with that hour? Are, are you mm. are you working f- for the company? Or are you procrastinating? Are you getting a little bit more rest? Or, the, or, you know, maybe you have an hour commute each way. Are you using those two hours to be become better to, at anything? You know, maybe, maybe it's crossword puzzles or exercise <laughs> or yeah. playing with your kids or I love that. all yeah. the important Find stuff. But what are you doing too. with that hour? Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. It's important. It, to, to be mindful, because if you just spend another hour browsing Instagram, you know, it, maybe it's not the best use of your time. <laughs> right. Well, it sets some limits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's wrap it up. As I said uh, throughout, part of our goal um, was to talk to our future CEOs. That's kind of, you know, what we wanted to do here. Um, we wanted to talk to people who were really considering uh, starting a business not realizing uh, that others that own businesses have gone through the same things or live in the same lives as them. They're human just like them. And um, we want to talk to them and let them know that we're just like them. At some point in their life, we were just like them. Um, 
So um, I think that you two were able to accomplish that today. And I'm very grateful to have you guys as our first guest. Yeah. Um, thank so you. very, thank you it's very been our much pleasure. for being thank here. You. Yeah, thank you so Is much. Is there anything else that you guys want to tell the listeners about your winery, uh, when they should come visit you, how to visit you? Back to this again, Saturday, Sundays from noon to about six. Reservations mm-hmm. are not required, but we're taking them. Uh, if you want a little break from... Uh, your situation and want to come up and visit us we'd, we'd love to see you we'd love to show you our wines well some folks ask uh, if we had food so you're welcome to bring food and pets are okay kids are okay all right so noel and roberto are the owners of espinoza vineyards located at 15360 bandy canyon road in escondido california as they said they're open saturday and sunday from 12 to about 6 uh, seating is limited. You can make a reservation at www.espinozavineyards.com. You can find them on Facebook at Espinoza Vineyards, on Instagram also at Espinoza Vineyards, and on Twitter at ESP Wines. Thanks, Roberto. Thanks yeah, thank you guys. Thank you guys very much. Thank you. We appreciate it. That was awesome. Thank you for tuning in to Same Business Different Day Podcast. Special thanks to Star Fox Media on video production and James Russell on music production. Please like and subscribe the Same Business Different Day podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Don't forget to leave us a nice review. Tune in next week for an exciting all-new episode.